Yes, well, good morning, Evergreen. I am so excited to be a part of this uh, because today we get to welcome the latest member to the Evergreen team. So in a moment, we're going to invite Nathan Persley on the stage, but I, wanted, I want you to know a little bit about Nathan. Number one, uh, for those of you who've been thinking, man, they are just bringing all these Californians to, to, to Evergreen. Friends, we have someone from Washington joining the team. So Nathan Hales from Bellingham, Washington. And Nathan, here's what you need to know. He loves Jesus. He loves youth. And he loves baseball. Um, and you can guess what team he roots for. And so today might be a kind of a bittersweet uh, morning. So uh, if you've been following baseball, pray for him after the service. Encourage him. Edify his spirit. Uh, but Nathan has... Uh, Felt a call to ministry uh, for, for quite some time now. That journey led him to doing six months in Bolivia as a missionary. And so speak to him in Spanish. Try him out. Um, he was there at the height of that pandemic. And um, he felt called to pastoral ministry in that season. Specifically, he felt called to uh, Portland and, and the surrounding areas. And so he, uh, his journey has led him to serving uh, as a youth uh, worker in Forks, Washington. And uh, his latest assignments have been to a young adult in a youth ministry in Gresham, where he still lives and, and plans to join um, the wonderful city of Hillsborough. Shout out to Hillsborough. Uh, but um, Nathan is amazing, loves Jesus, and he is just celebrating his uh, engagement with his beautiful bride-to-be, Abigail, who we're going to meet next service. So will you help me welcome Nathan Persley? Please pray. I accept your prayers for the Seattle Mariners. I'm a Seattle fan, uh, so it's pretty heartbreaking to be a Seattle fan. We got the Seahawks. Seahawks aren't good. The Mariners, who could be good, and the Washington Huskies. Where are my Huskies fans at? Oh, there's some in the room. Let's go. I wasn't expecting that. I've received, I've received a lot of hate since moving to Oregon. Um, pray for the Oregon fans as well. Um, yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I want to thank Evergreen for this opportunity. Ilsean and Carlos, I want to thank you for this opportunity as well. And I am so excited to be able to come out here, partner with you, and serve the youth in our city. And it's something that's been near and dear to my heart since I was 19 years old. My dad is a youth pastor, was a youth pastor for 24 years. Uh, last Sunday, he actually just got installed as a senior pastor after 24 years of youth ministry. So that was cool. I got to go up and be a part of that. But I have a question for you. Um, how many of you found Jesus or, or started coming to church when you were a, a middle schooler, a high school, or in college? Would you just slip your hand up? Would you just raise your hand? If you guys look around the room, keep your hand up. Look around the room and notice that. Yeah. 85% of American Christians say that they have found Jesus between the ages of 4 and 30. And that's a pretty big range. So they've narrowed it down to those, most of those numbers are now between 10 and 25. And that is exactly the students that we are serving here in yeah. Hillsboro. Mikhail in middle school, Kim and the team and kids, me with high school and young adults. We have the perfect opportunity to raise disciples who will go out and change the world. Yeah. We have the perfect opportunity to raise disciples who will know right from wrong, mm. and they will know their Savior. We have the perfect opportunity to raise disciples who hear and know the voice of God. And I wouldn't be here today if someone hadn't taught me that. And so we get to partner together for these students. And here's how you can help. If you are interested in being a leader, doesn't matter your age, your experience, 
just you love Jesus and you want to help teens, like please come and find Micaiah or I. We would love to have you on our team. We would love to bring you on. Your experience and your testimony manner, matters and is important to God, but it's also important for these students to hear it. Yeah. If you are a high schooler or a young adult in this room, come and find me if you're looking for a community. Most likely I'm going to come and find you. So if it's less awkward for you to meet me, yeah. then yeah. let's do that. And parents, if you're a parent of a high schooler or a young adult or a middle schooler in this room, we believe that this is a partnership ministry. We believe that we get to partner together to see our kids grow up in faith, to see our students take Jesus with them for the rest of our lives. And so I would love to meet you. I would love to partner with you. Uh, we get to do this together. And church, how can you help? young adults and high schoolers. If you don't want to be a leader, if you're not a parent, if you're not one, you can come alongside them. Like I said, your testimony matters. You can come alongside them. You can make them feel welcome. You can allow them to be themselves on a Sunday morning. You can show them a grace and a love like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, you can pray for and with them. This isn't the future generation of the church. This is the now generation of the church. These are the next pastors, leaders, presidents, parents, dads, moms, husbands, wives. And we get the perfect opportunity to partner with each other in this ministry. There's truly no, rather, no place I'd rather be than Evergreen Christian Center hanging out with you guys and serving this community. Thank you guys so much. Amen. Thank you, Nathan. Can you tell he's a little bit passionate about what he's going to do? We want to invite you to be part of this moment of blessing him into his assignment. So would you extend your hands as we pray for him this morning? And Father, we are grateful for Nathan and for the gift that he already is to our community. Father, we bless him to be a blessing. But Lord, we bless his hands and his feet for the assignment that you've called him into this season. Lord, we pray that you would speak courage uh, through his lips to the hearts of our youth. Father, we pray that you would open doors before him in high school and college campuses, Father God, to reach those that aren't being reached yet. Father, we thank you that you anoint him for this assignment that we know it is for such a time as this that you have called him and brought him and placed, them, uh, placed him in this community. So, Father, thank you that through him, many young people will get to hear and know you and love you, Jesus. Father, we are so grateful for him. We bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. Well, Evergreen, I am excited. Are you excited? Yeah. I'm excited for what God is doing in our church uh, before we jump into today's message, I just want to celebrate another thing. There's just too many things to celebrate. We have to be selective, but this one we have to celebrate. Yesterday, as a team, uh, many members of the Evergreen team got to attend our Foursquare District Conference. If you're not aware of Evergreen Christian Center, uh, we are a Foursquare church. What that means is we are part of a bigger tribe. And yesterday, we got to gather with our district, which spans seven states. And so what that meant is seven of us, plus Charlie, 
uh, got to get into an expedition, and we made uh, my first road trip to the city of Spokane, Washington. And so we wanted to show you a picture because we wanted to celebrate this, these three days that the team got to spend together because these three days um, were, were moments of powerful uh, worship, powerful teachings, um, uh, practical training. In other words, uh, for the last three days, the team here has been poured into and we believe that we can't give what we don't have. And so this is important, that those that pour into you week after week are also being poured into. And so thank you, because this doesn't happen without your partnership, without you believing in the mission, vision, and purpose of this church. Thank you for your generosity. These things don't happen without you. And so uh, we wanted to celebrate that. Um, also, um, Wanted to um, totally do what, uh, what I think those of you who've been experiencing these first few months of my life, and that's totally have a dad moment. Can I have another dad moment? Because, um, you know, as a new dad, what do we do? We, we pull out our wallet and we show what? Pictures. We show pictures. And so I have more than a wallet. I have a giant screen. And so any opportunity <laughs> I have... <laughs> I just got to show you a picture of Charlie. So this is a picture of our baby girl, Charlie Joy. And um, if you haven't met her, here's what you need to know. She is almost two years old. Uh, her name is Charlie Joy. And I am learning so many true things about Charlie Joy in just these first two years. And some of those things are, are, are just this, that she is the most flexible baby I've ever met. <laughs> I mean, she puts gymnasts to shame. I mean, she looks professional uh, in, in her uh, splits. Um, but Charlie is also, she is a true Oregonian. She is our Portland girl. She is our Portland girl. And like a true Oregonian, she loves berries. And she will devour a bowl of blueberries in no time. Charlie is the daughter of her mother because she cannot resist not dancing when music comes on. <laughs> Charlie loves to dance. And so um, this has been quite the adventure of discovering the true things about Charlie. Because if you don't know our story, Ilsen and I, we got an early blood screening that our baby girl... Uh, would be born with uh, the potential to be born with Down syndrome. And we chose um, to make uh, this very you know, personal decision to not further diagnose that because we didn't want to take any risk. And so we went into that nine-month journey uh, not knowing whether Charlie was going to be born with Down syndrome or not. And it wasn't until four days after her birth, uh, we waited until getting some official blood tests that we found out that she would be living with Down syndrome. And it was almost like a flipped, uh, a switch turned on me. I was, I was ready, but I was waiting um, to do this. But as soon as that, that was made known to us, I felt the need to learn everything I could about a child with Down syndrome. And so I, I went to books, and there was one particular book that I devoured in the hallways of OHSU. If you don't know, we spent the first month of her life in NICU, and it was during the time of COVID. So I was there in the hallway, and I was highlighting and writing everything that I thought was important to know about this book with children uh, of individuals living with Down syndrome. I thought that was important. Well, since then, uh, I've changed my mind. I realize that it is not 
my, uh, my best spent energy to learn everything I could about Down syndrome. Instead, I put all my energy, all my focus into learning everything that's true about Charlie Joy. And that's been my focus, and it's been so wonderful to experience that. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about um, an experience I had this week. You may have noticed uh, I have a fresh haircut. <laughs> and I was sitting there with, with a barber, and he was a young man, and, you know, and he was just you know, um, being a barber and asking me about my life. And I made the mistake to say that I work for a church. <laughs> I normally like to have a relationship before they find that out, but as soon as he heard that I work for a church, he went into really um, um, a lot of different statements about what he believed about religion. And I found that as I listened to him, he was making arguments towards the arguments he was making. And... I thought about this experience that I'm having with Charlie because here's the, here's the truth. That young man is experiencing what most of us have experienced, and that's some questions in life are big and complex. And when you talk about religion and faith and belief, that can be big and complex. It can be kind of like that Down syndrome book with a lot of information. And I realized that what this young man needs to do is not focus on all these big questions and all these different religions, but focus on getting to know one person, Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that we are a church that keeps it simple because simple, we believe, is accurate. And that's that we gather and we celebrate, we learn, we talk about, we gather around one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Life is complex, but if we could put our energy into getting to know Jesus, I think we would be much better off. Yeah. I didn't say any of that to him, by the way. <laughs> you ever have that moment where you just don't have words and you just listen? But now I have them on my heart, and now I know where to go next for my next haircut. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and so um, one of the things that I learned about Charlie um, is that um, there, are, there are some things that people think about people with Down syndrome that are just not true, right? There are myths about people uh, with Down syndrome, that I, and there's one that I wanted to demystify, and that's this, that people living with Down syndrome are always happy, always happy. You may have heard it, you may have said it, and I don't want you to feel bad if you've said it. I've thought about it, but I've, I've heard it, and I've read the literature, and, and we know that that is just not true, that a person living with Down syndrome, the truth is that it's a person like any other people who experience emotions unique to their personalities and circumstances. So here's what you, here's what you should know about Charlie Joy. She feels all the emotions. <laughs> and if you can ask the team who spent the last three days with them, uh, six hours on a road trip, that she's not always happy. She's not always happy. And so uh, we know that we can get into making statements about generalizations about people. And it made me think about sometimes how we view the church or how others view the church. And some might feel like, hey, church should be a happy place. The church should be happy. You as a Christian should be happy. 
Well, I think that that is not completely true. Because God calls us to be people who love him and love others. And the way that looks is that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who what? Mourn. And I believe that's one way of the Bible saying you are to walk people in all their uh, life circumstances, life experiences, challenges, emotions, that that mourning to rejoicing, it's not a binary, it's not a black and white, it actually it's a spectrum that says we are to live life with people in such a way that whatever they're going through, we are to experience some of that with them in healthy ways. And so how can we always be happy if we're walking with and facing and addressing some hard things? And so we know that. We know that the church isn't called to always be happy, but I do want to make an argument for what the church is called and created to always be. And that's joyful. The church is not called to be happy, but it is called to be joyful always, and that's what I want to talk about. Because if you come here and it feels like we're always joyful, like it's always a celebration, like we're always partying, that's intentional. That's who we want to be. We want to be a joy-filled church. We want it to feel like a party when you come in here. And that's one of our values, and I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, the first uh, thing that I want to distinguish is between the difference, uh, because I know you're thinking about it, Carlos, what is the difference between happy and joyful? I knew that some of you would be asking that question, so I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled it, and I get Google sometimes gives good answers, so I want to provide what I found. The difference between happiness and joyful is this. Happiness is great. Hey, we are not anti-happy. Happiness is good. That's a good thing. But we can get happiness from a lot of things, even earthly things. Friends, this is Google. I think Google's converting. That's <laughs> biblical language right there, right? Happiness, it's great. It could, you can get it from a lot of things, even earthly things. But joy, let's talk about joy. Joy, on the other hand, it's long-lasting. It's a state of being. And so what's the difference when I think of happy, I think of ice cream. <laughs> and aren't we in a great state for ice cream? Yes. This is, God just knows my heart. <laughs> he sent me here. We're in the land of Tillamook. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. So Ilsen and I, you know, we got some ice cream this summer. And it was, oh, I don't know where it was. I'd, I'd recommend it. It was scoops of ice cream. Scoops. But we got this ice cream on a hot hot Oregon summer day. What happens to ice cream on a hot day? You better get those licks pretty quick, right? Because that is literally going away. And so for that, for that moment, happiness, it's, it's temporary. And it's okay, but we should think of it appropriately. But joy, joy is something that doesn't come from the outside Joy is something that comes from the inside. Yeah. And not only does it come from the inside, it stays. Joy lasts regardless of circumstances, regardless of, of experience. Joy is something that is permanent. And that's why you and I, those of us who grew in the church, we grew up singing that song. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my soul. Down, heart, down in my heart. 
down in my heart to what? To stay. Right? We know that joy is permanent, and that's why we want to be a church that is all about joy. And so this is our history, friends. We are not new. We're not not reinventing a new church. We believe that the church has always been joyful, should always be joyful, and will always be joyful, right? And so we want to just take a time and look at our history, how we started, because Acts 2 gives us the most organic picture of the church. If you're not familiar with the Jesus story, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it really is the story of the church. And we know that Jesus came and he died and resurrected and he made this promise to those group of believers that he would do what? What was his promise at the end of the Gospels? That he would send the Holy Spirit. So that's where we are. We are, we are reading the days after that where these group of 120 believers were waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit. And here's what we know. They were in the same place and they were praying when the Holy Spirit miraculously, supernaturally comes and makes his dwelling place in the hearts of those believers, and it says that they spoke in languages that many could understand. It was a supernatural occurrence that has changed history forever, and we are part of that history. We are a spirit-filled church. We believe in the spirit being active today, and it says that these 120 believers, they they were so um, excited they were so loud. They got, they got so many people's attention that men, devout men, started to gather and started to ask themselves, how can this be? How is it that these men who are all Galileans are speaking multiple human languages? And it was this moment where Peter, now spirit-filled, gets up and he preaches the gospel. And the result of his spirit-filled preaching is that in one day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Friends, that is a lot of connection cards to sort through. (laughs) Am I right? And so um, that's where we pick up in Acts 2. We we see the life that these new believers are now living, and I want to read it and consider it together. It says in verse 42, They devoted themselves, so they, that's the 3,000 plus that now follow Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day, when? Every day they gathered to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord was not done. He added to their number daily those who were being saved. I really like uh, Eugene uh, Peterson's translation of verse 46. He wrote it this way. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Friends, they were having family dinners. We did not invent that. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful, 
as they praised God. And so if you ever wonder why, why we do some of the things we do, why we gather, why we, uh, why we uh, meet in small groups, why we pray, we are inspired by these verses in Acts. We want to be like the original church in many ways. We want to do what they did. And so I want us to consider the routines and behaviors that they were committed to. Number one, they were consistently gathering to learn about God, just like you're doing here today. That is a good thing. They were gathering in a large group to learn about God. They consistently gathered to just spend time together. The word is fellowship, common sharing. And so that's why we invite you to do more than just sit through this hour service, but to get to know the community. It says that they gathered to break bread, and that's, that's, uh, many believe that that is simply saying they were sharing uh, communion. The thing that Jesus had taught them, they would do every time they gathered. They would gather to pray, and then they did this thing that was radical then and is radical now. They shared everything. They had everything in common. As a matter of fact, they went above and beyond that. It says that they began to sell their possessions and property, and they would give to those in need. That, if that sounds radical... It's because it is. It's hard to comprehend people that can live this way. But you see, they were experiencing something that I believe many of them had desired without knowing about. It says that they were devout people. So they, they were already seeking God. And God, I imagine to them, was outside. And here for the first time in history... God was no longer outside, but he was inside through the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling and staying in them. And when that happens, when we receive the Spirit of God, we live counterculturally. We no longer share the values of culture, but we live differently. We live the way of Jesus. And so what I want to say is that what these people were experiencing, not only that God was inside, that they were now being transformed from the inside out, but they were no longer practicing in theory the teachings of Jesus. They were applying them. Here were a group of people that were practicing this love one another just as I have loved you to care for one another, to sacrifice for one another, to value each other more than themselves. This is what it looks like when we start to live the way of Jesus. There's enough for everyone. There's fellowship. There is joy. Joy. And so... um, I, don't, I can't highlight enough that these first believers, they were joyful because they weren't just learning, they were living the teachings of Jesus. What would it look like if we began to live the way Jesus has taught us? I believe not only would we all benefit individually, that we would experience more joy in our lives, but I believe that we would have the same outcome as this first church, because we read that every day there were people added to their community. 
And here's what I want to say about joy. Joy, a joyful church is a growing church. A joyful church is a growing church. Why? Because joy, man, that is contagious. You start to get around joyful people, you start to want to want to lean in and kind of hear more about what they believe or why they are so joyful. Uh, Joyful is something that creates curiosity. It creates attraction. And I believe that's what they were experiencing. These people were, were starting to be true salt and light in their city. We believe that Evergreen is that salt and light. We believe that there are people who are desperate for authentic community, a place to belong, a place to have needs met, a place to grow in purpose. We can be that church. And it starts and it ends with being joyful. And so I want to share a few uh, ways that I believe we can continue to grow in being a church that is known for its joy. Number one, uh, I believe that if we can keep the main thing, the main thing. What are we about? We're about lifting the name of Jesus. We are a Jesus church. That is our focus. And here was this early body of believers, and they didn't have the time to get distracted with other things. It was, it was fresh. It was organic. They were experiencing the, the new life and following Jesus. And so there was no time for tribalism. There was no, tri- no time for any kind of ism. Their focus was Jesus, and I'm asking myself, how can we be a church that continues to align ourselves with following Jesus and allow, not allow non-essentials to become distracting? When I think of our reputation in America as a, as a big C church, I know that one of the things that people who are not part of the church would describe us as being joyful. Unfortunately, I believe that we have, we have gotten distracted with other ideologies and other, uh, uh, other pursuits. And all I'm simply saying, friends, can we get back to being people who are centered around the life and teachings of Jesus? Psalms uh, 1611 says this. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. When we keep Jesus as the main thing, we stay in the presence of God. The next thing I think that would help us be joyful, uh, I'm going to say it this way, is to regularly celebrate the ring on our fingers to the ring on our fingers. And no, I'm not talking about the rings that some of these young men have given to their ladies, even though we're going to celebrate that. But I think about this. I think about how this week on the Tuesday, uh, the Golden State Warriors are going to be receiving their championship ring <laughs> for the 2021-22 season. And there's nothing anyone could do about that in this room. Because what's going to happen is once uh, Steph Curry and, and the boys, once they get that ring, then they will forever be able to look at that and make that claim that they are the champions. And I know the further I go into this illustration, the um, less you like me. So I'll, 
But that's an unchangeable thing. And here's the thing, um, you know, they earned it. They earned it. They played the best basketball in that season. And I believe they'll play the best basketball in the next season. <laughs> but I want us to consider about a ring that has been given to us. Consider the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. There's a ring there for those of us who've read it. If you've not read it, it's about this young man who tells his father that really he's done with relationship with him. He's done living in his house, and he wants his inheritance early. And he takes his, inher- his inheritance, and he goes, and it says that he participates in wild living, and he spends it all, and he essentially ends up um, poor and in need. And in this moment of desperation, he realizes, you know what? I can go and ask my dad for forgiveness, and he can at least make me a slave. I can at least be a servant. And we know the story that as this young man is returning home, the father who is outside looking at him or or finds that he's approaching, he runs to him and he embraces him immediately without the son being able to say a word. He's already showing him love. And what does he tell his other servants? He says, get a robe on him and put a ring on his finger. The ring representing sonship, representing the status that he thought he had lost forever. And so this is this picture of what God has done for us. He has has forgiven us, and he's put us in this place that unlike the warriors, they earn that ring. The ring that God gives you and I, not only did we not earn, we couldn't do anything to earn it. It's all by grace. It's all by forgiveness. This is the good news, that God loves us and has died in our place, and he's offering a restored relationship. He's offering us sonship and and, and to be a daughter. And so I, I believe that when we consider When we consider our status under Jesus Christ, how can we not be joyful? How can we not be celebratory? How can we not proclaim the goodness of God in our individual lives? And so I want to end with this as uh, we invite the band to come up. Uh, We're going to end with a song. I just want to speak to those who uh, come here today, and you are so far away from joy I mean, you are in a season of hardship, and just getting here was a fight. First of all, I want you to know that I've been there. Uh, I'm not going to say that I know exactly what you're going on, but I have been in a season of depression. I have been in a season where, where I, I had um, very, very little motivation to, to live And I'm so grateful that there were people around me that just loved on me in this season. But I want to just speak to you. If you are someone who is here today and you are not connecting with this topic of celebration and and you are wondering, how can I get that? Or I would love to experience the things that I'm reading about and I'm hearing about that that comes with following Jesus. If that's you today, if you want more joy 
then I want to invite you to consider just going all in for Jesus. Because like I started, life can be confusing. There's a lot of big questions. But when we boil it down to who Jesus is and what he's offering, it comes down to an invitation. Come, get to know Jesus. Put your focus on him. Go all in. It says in Matthew 13, 44, that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold all he had and bought that field. If you not said yes to Jesus, I want to let you know that there is no greater investment that you can make. That Jesus is worth all other choices you have before you. And that if you make a decision to go all in for him, I believe that your life is not going to be on easy street, but you are going to go, begin to experience something that we have now experienced for the last 2,000 years. And that's that we have this everlasting joy. Reasons to praise. Reasons to give glory. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads. Heavenly Father, you know the hearts in the room. Lord, if we are lacking joy in our life, the invitation today is to come to you. To come to you with confession. To come to you with honesty and say, uh, Jesus, would you show yourself to me? Would you be what you've promised to be? Healer, Savior, King over our lives. Lord, would you draw your sons and daughters nearer to you, no matter how long we've been walking with you, Lord? I pray that today we would decide to leave here more committed to you, more committed to your mission, more clear about who we are in you. And Father, I pray that as your first church experience, Lord, that there would be a growing of joy, a praise party in our gatherings. As we sing this song, Holy Spirit, rise up in us because you are worthy to be praised. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will continue to do in Jesus' name.